May only truth be spoken here and only truth be heard in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Some of you know that my sister is a journalist and she writes a, a weekly email newsletter, which is pretty great, if I do say so myself, uh, about um, the people and the places and the interesting things that are happening in New York City that don't happen, that don't make the pages of the Times or the Post. And this week, I was so excited because the feature in her newsletter was about a perpetual stew club, which I will explain. But I was like, what are the odds that she would write about this perpetual stew club in Bushwick, Brooklyn, um, on the very week when our Sunday reading is all about stew? It's a gift from God. So I, so I promised myself I would try to find a way um, that was not too awkward to try to work the perpetual stew club into the sermon. Um, <laughs> so this is a test now. Um, so here's what the stew club is about. Um, it is kind of like the stone soup fable where everybody brings something to put into the stew, like a sweet potato or some broth or some beans. Um, in this club, it has to be vegetarian or vegan. And the founder of the stew club cooks the stew perpetually on her stove in her apartment in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And then once a month, they eat the stew in a playground. Um, and so my sister went on, um, on, I guess it was last week, but by the time she went there, the stew had been cooking for 26 days. And everybody who wanted to eat the stew, there were about 30 people who came, everybody who wanted to eat the stew brought a contribution that would go into the stew pot back home in the apartment. And they all enjoyed the stew and it tasted about how you would imagine it tasted, <laughs> you know. Um, and there was opportunity, plenty of opportunity for puns, uh, like when the founder of the stew club burned the stew, she said, I had the heat up too high it was a stupid mistake. So there was, not only was there food for everybody and everybody was sharing and contributing, they were also having fun. And as one, one member of the stew club said, she was like, it's not about the stew, obviously. But what it was about was this practice, this kind of doing something a little bit silly, but that's really about sharing um, and making something out of not very much right? It's very different from the stew that features in this story in Genesis, um, where the stew kind of becomes a point where we see not sharing, um, not people coming together over a meal, um, but people doing what people seem to have done since the beginning of time, which is fighting, struggling, being divided, Jacob and Esau, even over this meal, even when one is hungry, end up having that become something that tears them farther apart. From the moment they were born, even before they were born, the two are in the womb, one womb, fighting. Who's gonna be greater? 
and who's going to get a greater share of the good stuff in the world, right? And not too many generations back, they echo the first brothers, um, Cain and Abel, who also, from their birth, were at war with one another. One brother um, is a hunter and is loved by his father. The other brother, more of a homebody, a gardener type, loved by his mother. From the time that they're born, the two of them are at each other, trying to win the affection of these parents. And Genesis tells us, it seems there wasn't quite enough to go around because one parent favored one child, the other favored the other. And there's an 18th century uh, Jewish commentator who suggests that Jacob, who is the homebody, the gardener type, is making this vegetarian stew as a way to kind of tempt his father to love him by serving his father something that would be just as tasty as what his brother can make by going out and hunting and bringing home the game. But it doesn't work. No matter what Jacob does, he doesn't quite win the affection of his father. And no matter what Esau does, he doesn't quite win the affection of his mother. So from the beginning, the world that they experience is not a world where there's enough, not a world where we're sharing, but a world where we have to kind of scrap and tug to get our share, to get what's coming to us. We certainly know what it's like to live in that world. And we might wonder, as we look at the division around us, whether that is, in fact, whether Genesis is showing us the world as it must be, whether these two brothers are showing us what it's really like to be a human being, or is there another way besides tugging and fighting and scrapping for what's mine? This is where Jesus' story of the parable of the sower comes in. I think what Jesus is doing in this story, partly, is showing us that perhaps there is another way, a way other than scrapping over the scraps, something more generous. The people Jesus tells this story to about the farmer who throws the seeds and some land on good soil, some land on the rocks, and some land in places where they're uncovered and the birds can pick them up, and some land in the weeds and they get choked out. Um, Jesus' audience, you know, especially his disciples, these are all fishermen, they don't know a ton about gardening. But we have this lovely pastoral image of these seeds being cast out. But in fact, if you've ever gardened, um, and I have done a little, I don't spend most of my time taking my seeds and flinging them around the yard to see what happens. Why does the sower fling the seeds willy-nilly when the sower knows that a third of them are gonna be eaten by birds and a third are gonna end up in the bushes and not have enough sunlight? Why does the sower go around flinging these seeds? When I garden, you know, I make a row, and I put my carrot seeds in there, 
one by one and I make sure they're spaced apart because that's, that's the sensible way to garden. And that's the way that we know that we'll bear enough fruit, we'll have enough and we'll get the harvest we need. But this sower is doing something completely different. What are the results? When we hear this parable, we think about, we think about, oh, all those seeds that choked to death in the weeds, all those seeds that were lost to the birds, all those seeds that fell on the hard soil and never had a chance to take root. What grows from the generous, the profligate, the ridiculous spreading of the seeds in this parable, what actually does fall on the good soil, how much does it yield? Jesus says minimum 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. It yields not just enough to replace the seeds that fell on the good soil, not just one-to-one, It yields not just enough to replace the seeds that fell on the bad soil or in the bushes or getting eaten by the little creatures in the garden. Those are also replaced by what grows in the good soil. And then what grows in the good soil bears even more than that. So even though the sower is generously casting the seeds out wherever without regard to what makes any sense and where they will grow best. Not only is the seed that falls on good soil replaced, but the seed that seems to have been lost. Also, there is fruit produced to cover all of the seed and none of it gets lost. I'm gonna tell a story um, about my son and our community garden. We have a community garden here in the northeast corner of the church. And uh, earlier this week, Max and Christopher went over to the garden to do some weeding, to pick out the bad seeds. And um, they came back with zucchini and lettuce and green beans and none of this had grown in our community garden plot. But what happened is while they were there, one gardener said, oh, I have some extra of this. Do you guys want it? And another gardener said, oh, I have some extra of this. Do you want it? And so they came home with this abundant harvest that was the sharing from the other members of the community that they didn't plant themselves. And our garden grows food not only for the gardeners who garden in their plots, but every Friday we take baskets over to the Hyde Park Food Pantry to share with people who are getting their food from the pantry. This garden grows 30, 60, 100 fold, enough not just to serve the households of the people doing the labor, but also to serve the wider community and even once in a while to do something really generous for a young boy. And at dinner time, because we've 
we've all read that children's book, Harold and the Purple Crayon, where Harold draws his world. And so Max at dinner time, he said to me, what, what if the whole world was white and we had to draw everything? And I said, what would you draw first? And he said, I would draw a garden, like our community garden. So everyone would have food. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a mistake. He's like back there, he's like, that's not exactly what I said. Like, it, it's good enough. <laughs> it's not a mistake that when God begins creation, God puts the people in a garden where there is fruit that is enough and more than enough. The people are placed in a garden that gives them everything they could possibly need. That's the world that God creates for us. And even though a few generations later we found a way to be fighting over scraps, there are still places where we glimpse that alternate world that still lives here, that still lives among us and still exists among us where you could do something as crazy as throw seeds like this and still trust the world to give you back enough and more than enough, not just for yourself, but for everybody. The question that I want us to carry into this week is, where in my life do I act as though I have to scrap over a bowl of stew because there's not enough? And where in my life am I more like the sower who has the confidence in the fruit that will be born? When it comes especially, because this is the root of everything, when it comes to God's love, where are the places where I feel like I have to earn it and scrap for it, the way that Jacob and Esau scrapped for the love of their parents? And where are the places that I trust that what I am giving is going to be returned to me with enough and more than enough? Which world do I live in? Really, we live in both. But the question is, how can we invite God to show us where those seeds are bearing fruit 160, 30-fold, materially, spiritually? Where can we trust that what we sow is always coming back as enough and more than enough. And in those places where our hearts are still scrapping and fighting, can we invite God to show us that God's love is taking root and flourishing in that place, and that we can rest assured that when it comes to God, there is enough and more, more than enough.
Amen.